Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, where things are still very green and the trails are in fantastic shape. And I was actually just reminiscing with our guest today about riding these trails together last fall when he was out in CB. And I still vividly remember trying very unsuccessfully to keep up with him on trails like 403 and Baxter's. Anyway, if you like mountains and mountain bikes and great trails, you should start making plans to come do some riding here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, so Claudio Calori is back on the show today to, first of all, just catch up, but also to talk about what it's like to chase around Nino Scherter on a bike. Uh, I asked Claudio about his thoughts on e-bikes now that he's been riding one quite frequently. We talk about his company, Velo Solutions' first all-electric build. And we go into what that actually means, what it involves, and we talk about why Claudio has been so excited for quite a while now to make this happen. I then ask him about the status of the Red Bull UCI Pump Track World Championships, and then at the end, we actually end up teasing a number of upcoming conversations that we have in the works. So that is what we have on tap for you today. And so now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Claudio Calori. Well, Claudio, you're back. Am I? I was never gone. <laughs> don't, don't call it a comeback, as, uh, as LL Cool J once said. It's good to be catching up with you again. And uh, we've had a couple of kind of funny, sporadic conversations in the last couple of days. And, but I was like, we need to get this, uh, you know, get this recorded and, and uh, let people know what you've been up to. So um, that's our work here today. And uh, to that end, tell us a little bit, what has life looked like for you over these, I don't know, past four or five months, however long we've been in this, uh, in this COVID world now? Well, it, it all started when we were in Lesotho, you know, that little country in South Africa, um, building two tracks, two pump-per-piece tracks at the same time. But things in the world went slightly weird while, while we were there, but we didn't really hear much. You know, there was nothing special there. It's just that we were told or we heard that uh, the rest of the world is kind of going crazy. Then we got home after finishing those two tracks and I was called to Saudi Arabia immediately for a client meeting. And so I thought, okay, well, got to go. And still at that point, I didn't realize how bad things were really going. So uh, checking in on the way back from Saudi Arabia, coming back to Switzerland, while checking in, the guy tells me, um, flight is canceled and basically nobody leaves the country anymore. If you can find another plane that still leaves, 
you should take it. No matter where it goes, you should take it. So, okay, I ran around on the airport. I, I saw there was still one plane checking in. That was the one going to Istanbul in Turkey. And I ran over there and told, asked them, hey, do you still have a seat? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we have two seats left. I'm like, okay, I'm taking one of them right now. And got out of the country with basically the last flight that left the country. <laughs> and uh, yeah, from there on, there was no more traveling. And honestly, I really, really, really loved it. This was the first time in 10 years where I got to ride the trails at home and I properly got to explore all the absolutely amazing trails that we have. And I've been loving it a lot. The last three months with the whole world slowing down, not having to catch an airplane on a weekly basis and just being able to be at home and ride my bike and and basically have a, a life like everyone else. Possibly not, because I'm still doing stuff very different. But <laughs> but uh, yes, um, I really loved it. Yeah, this is kind of what you were saying the other day, that you've this past decade for you has just been intense in terms of work, in terms of travel and the rest. And so, I mean, you've just been saying, like, you're, you're riding your bike more every single week maybe than you have in like a decade is that right yeah i guess the last three months have been as much riding as the last 10 years altogether um and it, it's it's so cool you know basically all the time that i'd usually spend on airports or trains or airplanes i'm now spending on on a bike if that's even possible but uh you get you get the point. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you and biking these days. Um, you recently spent some time chasing around Nino, and uh, these videos that you put out are uh, among some of my all-time favorite Claudio videos. <laughs> Actually, I watched them again uh, last night and was just cracking up through the whole thing. So. Uh, for those of us who've never followed Nino Scherter down uh, a, a steep trail, I guess I'm curious, like you followed around in your day a lot of world-class riders, but talk a little bit about like chasing Nino around. Um, anything stand out in, in particular about that to you? Yeah, obviously he's going fast. No question <laughs> about that. Um, the thing you have to consider also, he's like on his full-on cross-country World Cup bike. So he, he didn't take any enduro bike or so to go ride with me. He, he actually took his just regular cross-country race bike. And the speed he's going is like, I really have to pin it just to keep up with him. And, uh, well, there was another element in there that I rode the Kinevo, the, the e-bike, mm -hmm. um, making sure that, he still gets his training in uh, going uphill because, uh, yeah, obviously, um, if I wasn't on an e-bike, he would just be waiting for me all the time and he couldn't really train. It would then be just uh, a wait for Claudio run. Um, but 
with the e-bike, it's actually a really cool thing. It allows me to to go ride with Nino Schurter and we both have fun because he could still push it hard on the uphills and he wouldn't have to wait for me. And then on the on the downhill, we're both fast anyway. And um, so it's it's a really cool thing. Like it... You know, usually a guy like me could never really go ride with Nino unless Nino says, okay, today is my day off and I just uh, spent some time with Claudio. But that way, he can actually go and train hard and go as hard as he wants and I could stay with him. As a generalization, and I don't I don't know if, if you would pick one of these two options, but for all the kind of POV stuff you've done in your day or, you know, chasing whether it's DH riders down a course or or someone like Nino down a down a trail, do you find yourself more impressed by like flat out speed of a rider or are you like, okay, I kind of expect all the people I'm riding with to be fast. So is it more like their bike handling? Do you know what I mean? Speed versus bike handling? Do you ever think about it that way? I, I guess the speed comes with the bike handling. So obviously there's different styles. Uh, if you if you look at at Brendan, he has a completely. I mean Brendan Faircloth. He has a completely different style than, than let's say uh, Loic Bruni or so. But I, I like watch both of them. I do think I'm still the racer, so I'm more impressed by speeds than by style. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Fair. I I actually, it was funny. I was thinking about for this conversation, I was like, I bet the, you know, maybe the title for this conversation is going to be like Claudio Calori on going electric because we're going to be talking a lot about uh, electric powered vehicles and tools in this conversation. But to that end, I did want to actually ask you a little bit more about the e-bike you've been riding. How much time have you spent on an e-bike prior to getting one none <laughs> zero yeah none zero i knew i didn't know but i was thinking that as soon as i rode one seriously um i might be lost and i might not want to go back so i stayed away from them as long as i could but then we had this all electric project here and specialized said that, uh, hey, we've got something for you here if you want to try it out. And I thought, okay, Mel, this might be the moment where it really makes sense because, you know, we have this uh, construction that we're going to talk about later, um, basically on the mountain behind our office. And so I, with the e-bike now, I can access that construction without needing anything else than an e-bike. You, can, you know, I can get up there in 20 to 30 minutes to the to see the guys on construction and and have a look and so that really makes sense otherwise it would take me just as long with a car um but now i can just get up there and then on the way down even have fun so that's where i i said okay well let's try it out and it was even more amazing than i would ever have imagined it basically threw me back to the same feeling i had 
when I started mountain biking, you know, like when you basically get back from uh, a long ride and all you can think of is the next ride. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, like after 25 years in the racing scene, that fire wasn't the same anymore. You'd still love riding, but once you're done riding, you wouldn't think about riding anymore because then you have other things to do. But now since I have this e-bike, I'm like, man, I want to get up again. Maybe in the afternoon I go for another ride. <laughs> it's, it's totally crazy. It's absolutely nuts. So I was in your shoes or I am in the shoes you, I guess, formerly were in. I've still never been on an e-bike. And yeah. I think it's interesting what you just said about you were like, I kind of didn't want to try one because I'm worried I might not ever go back. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, do you actually think now you're like, for the type of riding you do, where you live and the rest, are you kind of like, I think I'm a full-time convert now to the e-bike? Or do you still see where you personally would have opportunity to like go back to a non-pedal-assisted bike? Um, no, 100%. I'm still also loving my normal bikes. And I think an e-bike even makes you appreciate the light bikes more. So it's not like once you have an e-bike, you don't want to, to ride any other bike anymore um, because you will still appreciate the light weight of another bike. It's just that with the e-bike, you know, it, it makes it so accessible and it makes things so... I mean, I could go on huge rides that would usually take all day that I can do now at 7 p.m. when I turn off my computer, I could say, well, let's just do the biggest ride I can possibly find here and go up to a glacier, which I did three days ago. I just rode up to a glacier and then did a huge single trail that, yeah, like usually it would be a day ride to, to get this done. And, and now I can just, after work, 7 p.m., get up there, be up there at 8 p.m., and then ride down it on it takes you almost as long to get that get back down as it did on the way up and the cool thing is that even on the way up you're having fun with the with that bike and and that is something you could never do on a normal bike because if you only have one or two hours left of daylight you then just figure out the trail in the valley and which is still super cool but if you can choose between doing a big, epic single trail from a glacier down all the way to to your house, or you go for a little cross-country loop in the forest next to your house, what will you choose? And, I mean, it's, it's very clear that you're going to choose the big, epic ride because it takes you just as long, but you get the most amazing downhill. My opinion, and I think it's the opinion of a number of us here at Blister, I don't want to speak for everybody here, but I still think the biggest issue on our side is just, especially here in the United States, there still are some real issues about trail access that I think we need to get clearer on and settle some issues with. 
But I think that from day one, that's kind of been, I think, one of the biggest reservations about the bikes. It was never like a, a reservation about e-bikes per se, but I think it was primarily like, we need to make sure we're not messing up any issues about trail access um, or having trails shut down because certain bikes that aren't permissible on trails, right? They're being used incorrectly. And now we're creating all kinds of access. We're seeing trails shut down and the like. So it's intriguing. And I was just curious to kind of get your take and your experience on this. So, And don't get me wrong. I still really, really love my normal bikes too. Mm -hmm. And and obviously the playfulness of a, of a light bike is something special. But at the same time, when you get to know the heavy bike, you know, the Kinevo is the biggest e-bike you can get, basically. Mm -hmm. It's basically a downhill bike with an engine, um, which means I now, it, when the lifts are closed, I ride up the downhill trail and back down the downhill trail. Um, because the going up, up part is almost as much fun mm -hmm. as the coming down part. What I also did recently is I, I went to Lenzerheide, but after the lifts shut in the evening and, uh, everyone else was basically standing in line for the lift 40 minutes per run. And I then went, as soon as the lift shut, I went with the Kenevo and, I did five runs through the Lenzerheide bike park within two hours. So that's two hours of flat out, full on riding at its best that maybe the guys who would spend in the bike park during the day, they in total, if they would take all the time on the bike for each run, they would get to 40 minutes. And the rest of the day, they would spend either waiting in line or sitting in the gondola. Yep. So um, it is a real, real game changer. Not saying that normal bikes are not fun. I mean, they still are and they still are. If you would just look at the very moment when you're riding down on an enduro bike or on a downhill bike, that plane feeling might be a little better on the lighter bike. So if I am on a downhill track with a proper downhill bike, maybe the feeling there is 10% better. But I'm getting two hours of a full-on ride and not only five minutes. You know, that's the, that's the big difference. Let's keep it moving on Claudio's electric adventures. I do want to hear about this quote-unquote all-electric build that you guys did recently. And I think, you know, when I saw you first post about that, I kind of lit up because I think it's been maybe two years ago when I think you first told me that that was something you had in mind and were kind of, you know, hoping to achieve at some point. And so I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, I remember a pretty early conversation about that. And then um, I just wanted to hear more about it. I mean, so yeah, tell us a bit about this all-electric build. Yeah, as you said, this was uh, a plan for a long time. Um, I really, really wanted to switch to electric machinery all the way. Um, and I didn't see it coming that soon yet. I knew that some companies were working on electric 
excavators, I've also called them. We're pushing our rental company on a weekly basis, uh, annoying them, telling them, hey, we really want all the machinery electric um, and not just the smallest ones. We also need the big ones and also not just the excavators. We need the loaders and the compactors and anything that is on our construction, we, we want it electric. And for a long time, it looked like things were not really moving. And even internally, you know, like with my own guys, I was pushing it for quite a bit and starting to annoy people because, you know, they're like in their daily business and they have enough work no matter what. But there's always this Claudio with his extra work because he wants to do things different. So um, then suddenly, uh, two months ago, one of my guys is in the office and that this came completely unexpected. He says like, hey, this might be our first project where we can do it, where we can actually work with electric excavators. And I'm like, really? Like, why? And this was even a trail. It wasn't just a pump track. Um, because on a pump track, you could say, well, we're basically in, in towns and there's easy access to electricity. So... How do you want to make this trail up on the mountain, high up on the mountain? How do you want to make this? And he says, well, basically our trail is always in proximity of the snowmaking machines, which means we have access to power. And I'm like, all right, well then get on the phone and get those excavators like call whoever we know call them and see if we can get those excavators and not only the excavators we need the compactors we need the, the dumpers we need chainsaws whatever machine is up there it has to be electric and we want to if we want to do it we want to do it right which means even our team should not use any combustion engines to get up there. They can use their e-bikes or we need to somehow rent electric cars. Um, and so it was pretty nuts because we had to organize everything within two days. So that was two days basically, basically on the phone trying to get those excavators. And there, there's only a couple of prototypes around, so there's no real market for it yet so uh, we had to get those prototypes and and somehow we did we achieved it the electric cars came in three days late because those needed a bit more um, negotiation to to be able to rent them so on um, and obviously on the very first day those electric excavators needed to get on the mountain somehow and usually you would have them on trucks and they would bring them to where they they're needed and i just said no uh, our point zero is the base of the mountain that's where trucks can deliver their stuff but nothing gets on the mountain with a combustion engine this is a hundred percent electric project which means we either have to find an electric truck that takes those excavators up there and if we can't find him 
those excavators have to drive themselves all the way up, which we ended up doing, obviously running out of battery halfway up. <laughs> but luckily, that was already close enough to one of the snowmaking machines so we could recharge them there and get, get all the way up. Yeah, so that ended up in a little fight already on the very first day because the photographers wanted to come up there and I said, yeah, you can come up with your e-bike. And they're like, no, and I have too much camera stuff and so on. And I said, well, then you need to wait three days because then that's when we get the electric cars. But you're not driving up there with your normal car. Because if we put all these efforts in, in being 100% electric, and then every photographer or videographer or, or whoever wants to go see the construction drives up in a combustion car, then what's the point? So we canceled the photo shoot on the first day. I pissed everyone off. <laughs> and then we did it three days later. Um, uh, but yeah, so this has been going on for almost two months now already. Where is this build and what exactly are you guys doing? Uh, we're building an enduro, an enduro trail, uh, quite a long one in Lax, Switzerland, which is our hometown. It's going to be a very advanced one. So it's not like a flow trail that we're bringing in all sorts of material and making it as smooth as possible. We're, done, we're trying to leave it quite raw and and um, so the people who have written the first bits, they love it. When do you expect this to be completed? The trail will be done in three weeks. He says with a lot of confidence. Uh, well, we have, we have pressure. We, the, op the official opening is on the 8th of August. <laughs> okay, yeah. so you better, uh, you better hit it. Yeah. What's cool, and I, you know, I, I could imagine somebody kind of sitting there thinking like, Man, this sounds like a whole lot of work just to sort of try to prove some point or something. And yet, like, what I think is that, like, progress happens often in very tiny little steps forward. You know, I think just operationally, you guys getting a sense of, oh, this is easier than we imagined, or this is the part that's harder than we imagined, but just starting to figure out what this looks like from an operational point of view to me, really seems like this just makes it, brings you closer to repeating this process and moving more toward like, this is just how we build now. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's where I'm annoying my crew again, because I'm basically telling them every day, hey, why, why is our other construction for the next pump track not on fully electric machinery yet? Why? Just make it happen, right? Um, the thing is, though, that the industry is not there yet. There is, I mean, the excavators we're currently using up on the mountain, they're uh, 1.5 or 1.8 ton machines, which is very small. And on a, on a pump track, we need like a 15 ton machine, which is currently being developed, but we don't have it yet. And uh, we are talking to those companies because we do want to switch as quick as possible. Um, but the machines are just not there yet. And the goal is really to, to have every single construction, at least in Switzerland. Um, I know that 
this is not yet possible in every country, but in the future it will be. But at least in Switzerland, I want to have all construction fully electric as soon as possible. There's even solutions for areas without, um, without electricity access. So there's companies now in Switzerland that provide huge batteries. So they, you could basically tow in hmm. an eight-ton battery that you can then charge your machinery with. And then, uh, you know, obviously this is a lot of try and error. And yes, some things might be questionable, but we are developing things. We're making, we're trying things out. And um, you, even if it gets hard and sometimes it gets complicated, sometimes it is a lot more work to organize it all, or it might even be more expensive because in renting one of those prototype electric excavators is, is clearly more expensive than just renting a standard combustion engine excavator but only with this extra effort we're getting somewhere because yes if i want it easy if i want it easy fast and cheap i just go and rent the excavators that are available done and nothing will ever change but if we want things to change we need to do that extra work even uh yes if you just look at numbers we might make a little more profit by just going the easiest way. Um, but if, we, if we're serious about the goal of becoming 100% electric, we just have to put that extra effort in. Talk to me a little bit about what's going on at Velo Solutions in general. I know, you know the last 12 months you had been kind of going full tilt with just a ton of projects is it still kind of going nuts over there? Is it a little steadier right now? And how many of the projects are you doing? What's the breakdown for like trails you're developing versus pump tracks you're doing? Um, I would say it's globally. Globally, it's probably 90% pump tracks and 10% trails. In Switzerland, it might be... 70 to 80 percent pump tracks to 20 to 30 percent trails that's when you count the projects but obviously then uh, it takes a lot longer to build a trail than it does to build a pump track so the actual time we spend on on a trail might be more than the 20 to 30 percent but yes i mean there's a lot more than just the construction going on yeah you care you care to uh release any teasers give us any tidbits uh well <laughs> there's you know uh, some of the stuff is so out there that i should probably only talk about it when when we have something to show which will be very soon so we might have to have another interview very shortly okay. <laughs> all right yeah um but it does relate to sustainable topics and um it's just that you know when elon musk comes out with new stuff sometimes you still have to wait for five years until it really comes out um 
but when he talks about stuff, you know, it's serious. So um, uh, I kind of don't want to push it further than he does. So <laughs> at least I should be sure that it really comes before I start talking about it, about it in public. Okay. All right. Well, you know how to get a hold of me. So when you're when you're ready to uh, have this particular conversation, we'll we'll do it. Yeah. I want to let you get going here soon, um, but I also was curious to just get an update on um, the Red Bull Pump Track Championships. Where are we with that? Well, before Corona started, we already had four qualifiers done. Um, we still have. Uh, several that might still happen now in the upcoming month. The thing is we need to decide in the next couple of days or weeks whether the final is really happening. For now, as it looks right now, the final is happening. We are going to do it. But only if we are sure that the, the people who qualified can actually travel to the finals. Because it makes no sense having a world championships final with only five nations there. So we are figuring that out at the moment if traveling will be possible. And if not, we're still going to have an event, but it might not be called the, the, world, the official world championships. Because I don't want to give uh, the rainbow stripes to someone if he only had to beat three other nations um, because the rainbow stripes should should mean something and that's a true world champion and so I think we're only going to do it if we can have a minimum number of countries attending but uh, that's another thing that we're probably releasing within within two weeks and we're going to have another solution ready and if there's no world championships final this year then all of the guys who qualify this year will automatically be invited for next year's final i assume are you planning to stick with the current location of the finals or is that subject to change depending on well as for now the the world championships finals are still in leogang together with um, the mountain bike world championships, the downhill world championship. No, they now have everything. They even have cross country. Yeah. So everything will be there unless that changes too. Who knows? You know, like at the moment, everything changes every day. So who knows what's going on there? Well, we'll stay tuned. <laughs> and, uh, but now I'm going to let you run off to the grocery store. All right. I still have half an hour. Oh, see, you're, you're good. Now we can, do you have more questions? We, we have 10 more minutes. <laughs> um, well, here, here's, a, here's a question I like to ask. It's a hard one. What's the best question I haven't asked you? Actually, this is the question that I asked you, I don't know, a couple years ago that sort of led to this whole Bikes of Big Ideas thing in the first place. Because I think your answer then, a couple years ago, was what is the meaning of life? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> I have an answer. Well, no, wow. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to go there now. <laughs> this is going into very weird spaces where not all of our listeners here are going to be ready for. 
I have a hunch I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Is that possible? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Boy, these last like 15 minutes or so, all you're doing is teasing certain topics. I know, I know. I'm uh, bad. I'm bad with that. But, huh. well, let's just say we'll be talking very soon again. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the maybe the answer to my question, what's the best question I haven't asked you? The answer would be something like, exactly how shortly will it be till we're talking again? I would say within a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're working on a couple other things too that uh that that's balls in my court. So um so we might have we might have some, you know, a series of conversations and coming up here uh which will be great. I think so too. I mean there's I'm going to get in trouble if I keep talking now. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I tried to let you go, and you're the one who said we still have ten minutes. Yeah, so yeah. Is, but this you didn't is all have a fault. question. You wanted me to ask myself a question, but that's all right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, good teasers there. And uh, before before you get yourself in any trouble, I think I'm gonna just you know bring this to a close, and uh, we we look forward to some future conversations. All right. Cool. Hey, good to talk. We'll talk to you again real soon. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Claudio for the conversation. Thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And if you are enjoying these Bikes and Big Ideas conversations, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. And remember, if you do, you will push us one step closer to making our first listener appreciation slash blister crash course video which you can learn more about in episode number 22 of Bikes and Big Ideas. I promise it'll be worth the 30 seconds it takes to leave that five-star rating. Okay, until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again next week.